There is a content warning for this episode as it discusses domestic violence. Please consider this before you continue to listen and if you need support, the show notes contain the details of some organisations that you can contact for help. Welcome to the Inspirational Tales podcast. We all experience hardships and obstacles in our lives, but it is how we choose to respond to these events that can shape our present and future years. When my guests on this podcast experience the most challenging times of their lives, they use these hardships to learn, grow and better themselves, and as a result, they are now thriving in life. Their stories are ones of resilience, strength and overcoming adversity. So sit back and join me as we celebrate them turning their challenges into triumphs. My guest today is Stacey Jane. Stacey is a survivor of domestic abuse and the founder of the Australian charity Escabags, which provides free tote bags filled with essential items to people escaping dangerous or abusive situations. Stacey is originally from the UK but now calls Australia home after an Australian family recognised her situation and kindly took her under their wing. Stacey began sewing tote bags to help cope with her post-traumatic stress disorder from the abuse she endured, and it wasn't long before her charity Escabags was born. Escabags are now stocked in over 400 locations Australia-wide, and the number continues to grow each week. Stacey is such a courageous and inspiring woman. She is so passionate about helping others and paying forward the kindness that she was and is still being shown by many Australians. In this interview, she openly speaks about her journey from being abused to escaping and now helping others with escabags. She explains the issues that those trying to escape abuse face and why it is so important to be kind to others. If you do one thing after listening to this episode, please make it be to tell your family and friends about escabags so that if they ever find themselves needing to escape a dangerous situation, they will know that these bags are available to them for free. Hi Stacey, thank you so much for joining me on the podcast today. How are you? I'm very well, thank you Jess. How are you? I'm good, thank you. So you are from the UK originally. Can you please explain to us what your life was like growing up in the UK and before the abusive relationship happened? Cold. Oh, <laughs> like today in Melbourne today, it's freezing. Oh, yeah. Well, I think I've climatised a little bit now to Australian life because as soon as it goes underneath 20 degrees, it's, yeah, I feel the cold. Um, but no, I mean, I think living in any city, especially in England, is so different to here and I really appreciate you know just not being in a concrete jungle all the time it's definitely a more relaxed way of living over here but home is always home and you know you do miss those things. So what were you doing back then? So I've done some um, I've got some marketing experience and events experience and I used to look after the elderly uh, with dementia I used to run a, a respite home which I absolutely adored and that was up in Scotland actually in Glasgow for three years so it's even colder there <laughs> <laughs> it didn't last long. <laughs> Can you tell us how old you were when you entered into the relationship that ended up becoming abusive? I was 26. 26. Yeah. And did the abuse begin straight away or how did it happen? 
So this was actually somebody that was my boss oh. at work. Yeah. So I was living in Glasgow at the time and I was looking to come home to England. So, sorry, from Scotland back to England. So I was applying for different jobs and I had my resume online and somebody approached me online and said, you know, we've got this marketing job available and we'd really love to interview you. And I remember saying, you know, I'm not even back in England yet. Um, it's, I'm going to be about another four weeks. And I said, that's fine. We can do the interview um, on Skype, which is what I did. So um, about two months after that initial contact, I started working for a company in the October of 2016, I believe. And the owner of the business then went on to be um, my like, the perpetrator of my abuse. I don't even like to use the word partner it doesn't seem right but I didn't meet him for the first few uh, weeks of me working there and it was only really it came to Christmas and I knew that the job wasn't really it wasn't challenging enough for me and I just wanted to be honest and I said you know it's coming up to Christmas I just want you to know that in the new year I'll probably be looking for a different placement and I think that was when everything kind of just heightened and he asked me what the situation was with my dad and I just thought it was such a strange question to ask and I said you know I've not seen my dad for many many years and I've tried to locate him and he said okay so that was that I just went away thinking it was a really odd conversation and two days later I came into work and he called me into his office and he was on the phone to my dad he'd actually traced him tracked him down Little did I know at that point that the methods he used to, to track my own father down was how he would then go on to track and trace me and monitor me throughout our relationship. So he then said, you know, I remember him getting up and saying, I've got to go now. And it was a Friday. And I was like, you know, this is my boss. And I'm thinking, is he not going to tell me what my dad's just said, you know? And yeah, didn't say anything for about a week, didn't come back into the office. And I think at that point, that was when everything kind of started, the manipulation. And he knew that he was dangling that bit of bait that I wanted to know, I wanted to hear about my dad. Did he give you your dad's details or just left it? Uh, he did after a couple of weeks um, when we had a conversation, but I still to this day don't know, you know, what, what was said between them. And that was it, really. And I obviously went away then thinking he was, you know, almost like godlike. He, this man had saw the injured child in me, if you like, and, and located my dad, like my hero. And then, you know, very soon after that, our relationship began then I suppose on a more personal level. So how long into it did he start to show abusive behaviour towards you? So um, we probably started our relationship in the January and the April was the first instance of physical abuse but you know looking back now there was so much more manipulation from the get-go you know and silent treatment and yeah it was just awful. And with you, it wasn't just the physical, like you were saying, there were lots of other ways that he manipulated and abused you, wasn't there? Oh, absolutely. You know, and even things like, you know, I I moved house and he, when I ended the relationship with him on one of many occasions, I remember him, you know, knocking on my door at two o'clock in the morning and me saying, you know, I don't want you here. And he said, this is my house. I said, it's not your house. He says, well, who pays your wages? 
Oh. Yeah, and everything, my, my laptop, my car, all of a sudden broke. And I had a company car, which was tracked. For Christmas one year, I had a new mobile phone, not realising he'd put monitoring software on there. So, you know, f- throughout our whole relationship, he was listening to every conversation, every text message I sent. But not only was he listening, he wanted me to know about it because I remember um, leaving my grandmother's home the one day and I'd said, you know, something doesn't feel right, Nan, about this relationship and I'm feeling not myself. Then my family was starting to notice too. And I was driving back to his home and he sent me the full recording. So it was like, not only was he listening, he wanted me to know it, which is just so cruel. Wow. I guess a question that I'm sure you get asked a lot and everyone else does too is, why didn't you leave? But you did leave, didn't you, at one stage? Yeah, well, on many occasions. You know, there'd be so many times when I'd be at the front door, you know, when we we had moved in together. So I was in a relationship for three years and he used to live uh, in a cul-de-sac. And I used to be, you know, like at the door with my suitcase thinking, if I just ran now to my car you know, I could get away. But the fear of him coming round the corner in his van just put the fear of God into me. So I used to quickly run upstairs and unpack all my things again. And, you know, just it went on like that for a long time. But obviously my family and friends got frustrated because they were so concerned about me. And as, as quick as I would leave him, I'd be back to him again twice as quick. And I think that's that's the effect of what a trauma bond does to you that not many people understand. It's almost like he was my poison and my remedy. The worse he treated me, the more I needed him to make me feel better and make my pain stop. And that was purely down to the the psychological abuse and the emotional abuse. There was one incident where you did leave and you went to a supermarket. Yes. Can you explain yeah. what happened then? Yeah, so I was very, very violently attacked that evening and I, I'd actually told him that I was leaving and this is why, you know, I explained to people that that's the most lethal time for a victim because the perpetrator knows that they've lost all control and that's exactly what happened with him and, you know, I lost consciousness. He, he strangled me on the floor and when I came round... I always used to keep a car key in my bra and I just ran to my car that was parked out the front and I just drove to my nearest friend's home who was male. He's like a a big brother to me, you know. Of course, he said, Stace, you know, you can stay here as long as you like, but I've just not got girl stuff. (laughs) You know, I've not got shampoos or tampons or whatever it is that you might need. So the next day uh, we had to go to the supermarket and you know, everybody was obviously looking at me because visibly, you know, people could see I'd been attacked with a bruising um, on my face and around my neck. And then people were looking at my friend because he was male, thinking that he was the perpetrator. But I think, you know, little did I know that at that time and that experience would ultimately be the, you know, the reason why I started Escobags because people really need to be able to go somewhere that isn't so intrusive I suppose when you're in that vulnerable mindset the last thing you want to be doing is walking around a supermarket and I had my friend with me I could he paid for everything that I needed until I could get gain access to my bank accounts and stuff but not everybody has that 
you know so how does a, a victim get those things if they've got only the clothes that they're wearing yeah because that financial part is a big issue isn't it absolutely absolutely and that's something again that I've learned with him being my boss it was like the goalposts were moved all the time and if I didn't do as I was told he'd stop my wages Mm. so I couldn't escape the car the phone my income my home it was you know even when I started squirreling away a little bit of money I I was selling some things on eBay and I remember him saying to me why have you got a thousand pounds saved in a separate bank account? Oh, so he knew that. You know, too. and your stomach goes, yeah. But it was nobody knew about it. Not even my nearest friends. And that's that's how I started to work out. It must have been coming from my phone. How did you find out that the car was being tracked? So, <laughs> I actually took it to a garage and had it put on the ramp because one I had a flat tire, so I had my tires changed and they found it. Oh. Yeah, but it was. It was deeper than that as well, though, because it didn't even matter if I had the tracker taken off my car. There was something on my phone that could tell him through mobile phone numbers what friend I was with. And if I said I was at my nan's, he could tell that I wasn't at my nan's. So I would have to park my car at my mum's house. And I remember walking to this other lady who used to run a women's shelter to see if I could move into there because... And I'd have to leave my phone and everything, my handbag at my mum's and walk there so that I wasn't being tracked. That must be terrifying. Oh, I think, you know, sometimes people say when you're in that moment, you know, your survival instincts kick in and you just get through each minute, each each day. But looking back now, anyone that has heard my story just say it sounds like something out of a movie. Yeah, but it's your real life. Horrible. Yeah. Yeah. So in 2019, you went on a cruise with him. Can you explain to us what happened on the cruise? Yeah, so one of the things that he used to do and enjoy doing was traveling. And I think taking me away from my usual safe environment and surroundings, the abuse was actually always worse when we were on holiday, uh, if you can call it a holiday. And we were on a cruise in 2019 around New Zealand. And typical him, he would just get off the boat every day or go for a walk. Wherever we were in the world, he would just leave me. I was never allowed access to the safe. um, So I couldn't have my mobile phone or access to my own bank accounts, um, my passport, everything. Even makeup, I would have to leave back in England. It was, yeah, anyway. So I had befriended an Australian family who are all between their 60s and 70s. Um, There were six of them on on this cruise. And we'd made friends, and I think they'd seen me on my own quite a few times. And it was the last night of the cruise, and I wrote them a little note to say thank you so much for, you know, being in my company, really, and, and making the trip more enjoyable. I never explain to them what was going on but obviously now they say they always realize that something wasn't right because he used to just stand outside the toilet and wait for me to come out the bathroom and you know be pacing up and down so anyway I'd said my goodbyes to them and I returned back to the cabin and he attacked me violently attacked me but this time it was completely taken out of my hands because the people in the cabin next door actually heard it and called security. So I was moved to a different cabin. But 
for anyone that's ever been on a cruise before. The night before, you put your suitcases outside your room and they get put downstairs at the bottom of the boat, ready for disembarkment. And he'd changed the code on the safe as well. So I'm sat in this room thinking, it's two o'clock in the morning. I can't access my passport, my bank cards. All my clothes are downstairs. What if he gets off the boat before me and takes all my things and takes my passport? I've got no money. All I had was my dress that I was wearing that evening and some comfy clothes uh, for the next day to get off the boat. So security had seen my Australian friends at breakfast the next morning. They're all ready. They're packed. They're ready to get off the boat. They've said their goodbyes to me. And they said, have you seen Stacey? And they said, yeah, we said goodbye to her yesterday evening. We had an early night. And they said, no, there was a bit of an incident yesterday evening and we think she could probably do with a friend. It was about quarter past seven and there was a knock at the door and it was security and all of them, uh, six of them. And they just looked at me, looked at each other, looked at me again and said, this is the start of your new life and you're coming home with us. That is amazing. It gives me chills. I know, it still, yeah, it gives me goosebumps every time. Yeah, every time. So you came to Australia with them for a short time? Yeah, so the boat actually docked in Sydney. So they said, you know, we're not going to force you to do anything, but we will take you home. So I still had a week left in Australia with him. So my flight wasn't back to England for another week. So security have managed to override uh, the safe and get my bits and pieces out. And I just remember literally being carried off that boat because my legs my legs just went to jelly. I think looking back now, it was probably the single most bravest thing I've ever done in my life. And I really trusted these people. I mean, there's no way I can kind of explain to anyone listening the trust and how amazing these people are. For me to go, okay, the other side of the world, I'm coming home with you. I didn't, you know, we all make friends on holidays, but yeah, I did. I just really believed in them. And enough, I went to, to Sydney and stayed there for the remaining week. That's amazing that they took you in like that. And again, like you're saying, that you trusted them, people you just met to take mm-hmm. you in. So you stayed with them for yeah. a week, then you had to go back to the UK. Yeah, yeah. So I returned back to England and moved into a women's shelter, which because I'm at the time I was a single female, uh, I don't have any children. I'm guessing that uh, shelters that are only for single women and not women and children can sometimes be not very nice places. Certainly that one wasn't. There was a lot of drug abuse, alcohol abuse, prostitution going on in there. I was quite lucky that I was in the top room of the house. There was um, seven other women there, but I was absolutely terrified. I wouldn't even use the communal kitchen So I got a small kettle in my bedroom and I just lived off anything that I could eat using the hot water from my kettle. So, you know, noodles and porridge and I had a little uh, £20 fridge in there to keep my milk because I'm typically English and I love my cups of tea. And that's how I lived there basically for four months. And there was always one phone call that always used to keep me going and that was from... 
I call them Mozzie, my Aussie mum. Not like mosquito. But her name's actually, <laughs> no, not mosquito, bless her. Yeah, so her name's Carolyn, but yeah, I call her Mozzie. And she would ring me every day and I remember being sent a video from the perpetrator of my abuse and uh, he'd located me again at the women's shelter. And I just thought, you know, even prior to that, I thought the abuse is continuing because I'm now neglecting myself. Yeah. I'm not exercising. I'm not, you know, leaving the house. I'm too scared to go to the shops. And I'm pretty much, you know, starving myself. I couldn't sleep. And we were always being encouraged by the shelter, to be honest, to do different activities, um, whether it was, you know, Bible studies or keep fit classes. But no one really wanted to because you you go, you've gone through so much trauma. The last thing you want to do is be singing and dancing and making friends. I appreciate the thought behind it, but it's not what I wanted to do. But there was one class and it was a make and mend class to learn the basics of a sewing machine. And I'm, I've always been really creative. And I thought, you know, I'm going to give that a go. I fancy that. And I just remember sitting in this class and being so at peace and in my own little bubble. And they taught us how to make a tote bag, <laughs> which I never thought anything of until I moved to Australia, which is when Mozzie had said, come come home, Bob, when she found out. So four months after me actually leaving them um, on the cruise ship and in Australia, I ended up making the permanent move to Australia um, and applied for a protection visa. And then a few months later, so that was the August uh, 2019, by January, I was quite unwell. I was having lots of panic attacks terrible night terrors and Mozzie took me to the doctors and then on to the hospital where I was diagnosed with complex post-traumatic stress disorder something that I never dreamed that you know I had I, I just knew that I was sick and I remember them giving me a lot of medication for me to sleep and just relax my mind I don't really like taking any more than two Panadol in a day now because I would get so frightened of feeling, you know, woozy, if you like, and it triggering it triggering a panic attack. So Mozzie said to me, she said, what can we do, darling, to, to help take your mind off things? And I said, I'm going to get a sewing machine. <laughs> and she was like, okay. So off we'd go to like Lincraft and Spotlight to get all this, you know, cheap fabric. And I just sat for about two months making cotton tote bags and I didn't know what I was going to use them for I just thought I'll send them back home to my nan she can have them for Christmas like everyone that I know would have had one in every different bloody colour and then I started brainstorming like what what could I actually do with these bags to help people in a situation that I was once in and again it was that trip around the supermarket that we spoke about earlier that I thought if only somebody, there could be places where someone could pick all of these essential items and not have to make that trip around the supermarket or not have to worry about having money for some of those essential items for their baby or for themselves. But I wasn't doing anything about it. I had this idea, but I didn't do anything because I was scared that, I, you know, fear of failure and lack of confidence. And then on the 19th of uh, February 2020, I woke up like everybody else to hear that Hannah Clark and her three children had been uh, murdered at the hands of her estranged husband and, you know, their their father. And that was it. That night I stayed up and I went on to Wix and I created a basic template 
and Escobags was born the next day, yeah, 20th of February 2020. So can you explain to us exactly what Escobags is, for those of you who don't know? Yes, so Escobags is now what started as a little project. It's now a registered Australian charity. So we distribute free escape bags for victims escaping domestic and family abuse and they're full of all the essential items and also comfort items that, you know, a victim and his or her children may need when initially escaping a dangerous or abusive situation. You know, I feel strongly that not all victims are female and not all perpetrators are male. Being a female survivor myself, I would never create a charity just to help female victims I think we need to yeah open our eyes a little bit more especially where psychological abuse is concerned. So you launched in February 2020 and that was right before or around the time that COVID began here so I know Mm -hmm. in Melbourne we had the start of the beginning of the first lockdown was in March so the month after that and with the lockdowns a lot of the domestic abuse skyrocketed. Mm-hmm. How did that go about with your charity and the need for that at that time with COVID especially? Yeah, I mean, I think that's one of the positives that I can take from COVID, not obviously, you know, how everything in terms of abuse increased for people, but there, it definitely highlighted the need for something a bit more practical and tangible, you know, that people could have that be able to escape and get those items what we did see obviously around covid is that a lot of the um, helplines weren't receiving as many calls but that's because perpetrators aren't going to work or dropping the children off so when when is a person able to reach out so we actually had because our sorry just to explain our escape bags are distributed through various stockists uh, which are just you know, other organisations, libraries, privately owned businesses. We've got pubs, we've got RSL clubs, hair salons, you name it, you know, we've got them. We say you don't have to be a particular type of business to be a stockist, just a kind one. But then obviously that came with different problems because how are people supposed to get to those organisations if they're closed because of lockdown? So we actually had a lot of businesses reach out to us and say, can we still stock your escape bags? But rather than them come to our shop, if they make an online order, they can tick a box saying that they need an escape bag and it will actually be sent concealed underneath whatever they've ordered online. So that was a, a, you know, a, a great idea too. But Obviously, it's important to note that, you know, if ever we get locked down again, and I mentioned this with uh, Victoria recently, it's not against the law to leave your property. If you are escaping abuse, you won't be fined. It just does make it a a lot harder, doesn't it, when you can't get away? Absolutely. Especially that first lockdown, like I'm in Victoria, that first lockdown we had for months on end. And the restrictions were so strict that everyone was working from Mm -hmm. home. You needed a permit to even leave and go to work if you were working. So the opportunity to actually leave, it's hard as it normally is, so much harder. Yeah, absolutely. Because you can't use going to, you know, the supermarket as an excuse. You can't use taking your children to school as an excuse. How are you supposed to escape from an abuser if they are working from home and you're under their nose you know 24 hours a day very difficult so if people want to help 
you and Esca Bags support Become a Stockist, donate. Mm-hmm. How do they go about doing that? Yeah, so we've just had our, our website updated. Uh, as I mentioned, the first one that I did, so it wasn't brilliant. It had all the right things on there, but it, it's a bit more zhuzhed up now. So, yeah, escabags.org is our website. So E-S-C-A-B-A-G-S.org. We do have DGR status as a charity too, which means any donation over $2 is tax deductible, which is very useful, I suppose, for businesses wanting to make a donation. But, you know, not just monetary donations. The What gives me the greatest gratitude and happiness is to see that number of stockists increase every week. And to think this time last year we had 13 stockists this time three months ago we had 199 and now we've got 410. Oh wow so in three months it's increased that much. (laughs) Yeah yeah over doubled and I mean obviously there's been a lot of support in terms of radio interviews and bits on the tv and stuff so that only increases awareness more and you know that the items that can be sent in we've got a big list on our website of all the items that that we actually include in both of our escape bags. So we have a single adult escape bag and we have a parent and child escape bag. So, you know, if businesses out there have a thousand deodorants that they've put the incorrect packaging on and they can't sell them anymore, send them to us. We're very fortunate that Kennard Self Storage donate our little office, uh, sorry, our warehouse space. We've got our logistics partner think global logistics so they send out our escape bags to all states every every week we send out 10 boxes um through think global logistics we've got a bit of a waiting list at the moment for new stockists but that's because it's only me that packs the bags at the moment and my little arms and legs can't go that quick as well as running all the day-to-day duties of the business but we are looking at getting volunteers in and you know people that are on light duties uh, that they can't go back to full-time employment just yet but still want to be feel validated and important and useful within their community so that's really good you've really thrown yourself in the deep end with this haven't you (laughs) did you you didn't have any experience running a charity or or you had your aged care but is there anything else that has helped you with doing this oh look I mean I've got a board of directors now which is it sounds so strange even just saying that that we've got our board meeting on Saturday actually um, and you know I'm sat here and typing up an agenda and strategic planning I don't I, I hate using the word CEO <laughs> and um, I was speaking to a lady a couple of months ago actually she was like what is your problem with using the word CEO and I said because I've not grown into that yet if somebody asks me you know what's your forecast for I'm gonna go like brain fart (laughs) but she was like no you are the chief experience officer so yeah that's it you know it's my story it's the experience I've lived and I think as long as you do something go into something with passion and with kindness the rest will just happen for you I'm not the most articulate person I have don't pretend to have a business degree but I like to think that people that meet me know that all I'm trying to do is give something back to a country and the people that live in it, the same protection and love that Australia has shown to me. It's amazing. And that helps. 
it really helps so yeah I and I have my Fridays where it's called my self-development Fridays (laughs) and that's literally like I will watch listen to podcasts I'll watch webinars you know how to actually run a charity because it's grown at such a speed it's been hard for me to almost you know catch up but you know you learn every day and you just got to accept the help and the support from people around you not everyone's great at everything and that's where you just got to find them people that that help you and when it comes to charity you Australians are, are very good at that and if you don't know someone you'll know someone <laughs> if you can't do it yourself you'll know someone that can you know so so what have you learnt from this whole experience that you've been through? What are some things you've learnt? Ah. Massive question. Yeah, it's, it is a huge question. But I think, again, I'm going to refer to a tea bag. but you never really know how strong you are until you put yourself in boiling water. I've never heard um, that one before. <laughs> it's a good yeah. one. <laughs> yeah, and it's, it's absolutely the truth. I remember ringing um, like the not-for-profit helpline well over 12 months ago and the guy that spoke to me said, you know, you need a board of directors, you need to do this, you need to do that. And I got off the phone, I cried. I thought, I am so out my depth. How am I, how am I going to do this? And now it's just, it's come together so quickly, but it's not, I can't just say that I'm responsible for Escobags, Mozzie her and her family took me off that boat just over 12 months ago and showed me what it was like to feel safe respected loved and just cared for if it wasn't for them taking a chance on me I wouldn't even be in this country let alone have Escobags so it's really about just be kind to people because you never know what may happen as a result of your kindness and that's how I see it with Escobags you can look at it as a bag of essential items with shampoo and with this and with that, or you can look at it as an absolute lifeline. And if you're giving someone a lifeline and stopping them from going back into the home where they may be abused again, not everybody walks out alive, unfortunately. So although we're coming up to 2000 escape bags that we've distributed throughout the country, if I thought of every family that had to go and collect one of those bags, I'd never sleep. Because I think it's heartbreaking that our service is even needed. However, I like to see it as that's 2,000 families that have said, I'm not going to do this anymore and I deserve better for myself uh, and all my children. How much has creating Escobags helped you? Obviously, it's helped victim, well, survivors, I'd probably like to call them, not victims. Yeah. Um, but mm-hmm. how much has it helped you as well? Oh, unbelievably so. It's been almost very good therapy for me to you know listen to other people's stories even people that have reached out to me that are a little bit older and said I wish something like this was available when I'd escaped an abusive relationship with my children just to hear those it just gives me so much just makes me feel very empowered and just the kindness that's all around us we we only see the bad stuff in the media nine times out of ten and this is why you know your podcast is so important too to really celebrate people's wins and um the the, you know the best that you can do in this world is is leave 
some kind of legacy that you know you made a difference while you were here you definitely are and mozzie had mozzie and her family (laughs) have as well (laughs) absolutely absolutely had you been to australia before or was this the oh so this was the first time yeah and it's quite funny as well because i will just quickly tell you this just the light and the mood Mm -hmm. but when i was on the way back from the cruise after the family had rescued me Mozzie leant over to me. So we we're on the way back from the, the port in Sydney. And I'm thinking, I'm going into this stranger's house. This is going to be so weird. I'm feeling a bit panicky. And Mozzie leant over to me and said, don't worry, love, you'll be safe with us. <laughs> Just like that's my best Aussie accent. It's not anyway, bad. <laughs> <laughs> thank you. I got off the minibus and no word of a lie, as soon as she said that, I walked up the garden path and a brown snake shot Uh-oh. in front of me and went and went up um, underneath her car. So they got the hose and I'm looking at this thing and they're trying to explain to me, like, these ones are quite dangerous. And we always laugh about that story. But not long ago, I was speaking to um, an Aboriginal man who I was telling my story to. And he said to me that a brown snake shooting in front of your path actually means new beginnings oh does it yeah so it's like probably the biggest most australian welcome i could have had to this country (laughs) yeah welcome home like she said (laughs) (laughs) absolutely so yeah so there's a lot of good people here (laughs) have you spoken to her about why they did that to help you yeah yeah, many times, and Mozzie always says the same thing. She just did what she would like somebody else to have done to her children if they were in a, a similar situation the other side of the world. But what I remind them is that that's what makes them so special because not everybody would have done that. Yeah, what a what yeah, a I'd wonderful lady known. and family. It wasn't just yeah, her, was it? Absolutely. Yeah, that's it. <laughs> so, what does the future hold for you? Well, I have an incredible partner now, which is amazing. And my little stepson, who's 11, he calls himself the deputy CEO of Esther Banks, <laughs> which is just, it's hilarious because he probably does about 15 minutes at the warehouse before he gets bored. <laughs> yeah, so, you know, it, it's just so nice to be in a supportive and respectful relationship. He's actually English as well. Oh. Mum says to me, you come all the way to Australia and you end up getting with an English guy. <laughs> but I think I've really started to realise the importance of family and having that family unit. It's something that I've never really felt that I've had growing up. You know, I left home when I was very young. I was I was 16 and having to fend for myself and, you know, I had three jobs. And so this has kind of just been another, been another blip just over two years ago. But it's all that red light turned into a huge green light. And I can honestly say I've never been so happy, so healthy and felt so safe ever in my life up until now oh that's fantastic to hear so do you consider yourself lucky I think I'm very fortunate to have got out of a a bad situation in the way that I did I remember going back to England and telling my friends that I was moving to Australia with this family that I'd met on a cruise and obviously you can imagine they were like 
don't be so bloody ridiculous. Like, see if you're still talking to them in six months. But I said, no, my gut feels that this is my only choice to truly escape that person. Had I have listened to the people around me, which would have been probably the most sane option, I'd have still been in that women's shelter. He would have known exactly where I was every minute of the day. And I'd have been obviously in lockdown. So with COVID, how would I have ever been able to leave my own country? So, yeah, it makes it difficult that I can't return home and see my family and friends. But again, that's one of the conditions of my protection visa is that I'm actually not allowed to return home to the UK for five years. But, yeah, I'm definitely lucky that I found some of the best people on this planet. Yeah, silver lining in a difficult situation. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. So if someone is escaping a abusive situation how do they find your bags where can they go if you visit our website again escobags.org i will pop the details in the show thank you anyone that wants to check it out (laughs) thank you we have basically a page that's full of all of our stockists so you just put in a postcode or your suburb and whether you want it to be in a 5, 10 or 50k radius and it will bring up all the different businesses in your local area that you can go and, and request an escape bag. Some businesses, if you go onto their Facebook, you know, they may have promoted our service a bit differently. So rather than someone having to feel vulnerable and say, can I get an escape bag? It might be, can I pick up my friend's bag that she left? It's purple. Mm-hmm. Another thing that I've not mentioned too is that the bags are all handmade by volunteers. I can't sew them all anymore Mm -hmm. because there's so many going out. But we have the most beautiful bags sent into us from sewing groups and retirement villages. And they all come with these lovely notes that people send in. So, again, it's a real community effort from the bags themselves, the companies that support us. Yeah, it's just it's unbelievable. And again, if you want to become a stockist or to donate, head to the website as well. And you said that the stockist, you don't have to be a particular type of business. Is that correct? That's right. Yeah, just a kind one. (laughs) So all we ask, it doesn't cost you anything. As I said before, we we send out our bags to you via our career partner, um, which is an in-kind donation from them, which is incredible. So we just need, you know, a contact name, a delivery address and your business name. And all we ask is that you put one of our posters in your window or on your notice board and feel free to advertise the fact, you know, on your social media or websites, even coffee shops. You know, there's one locally here that have said if anyone ever really needs one and they come in and ask for one, they will be more than happy to offer them a a coffee and, you know, something to eat on the house, which is lovely. especially when so many businesses have struggled through COVID. The fact that people can still lend a hand in that way is just, yeah, it's beautiful. It does really show the kindness of people in these sort of situations. Heartwarming. It really does. It is. It's what we need right now. <laughs> and again, there are bags for an adult, so male or female, and also bags for children if you have a child with you. Yeah, so they're it's single adult and parent and child. So the bags are unisex. The only difference, I mean... There's obviously feminine hygiene products in all of our bags, which wouldn't necessarily be needed by a man. However, he may have a daughter in tow. 
So we don't remove them. We just keep everything in there. But if you don't need them, then just give it back to whoever and just say, I don't need them and off you go. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, so my final question, which I ask everyone uh, who I interview, if you could go back in time and give your younger self one piece of advice, what would it be? It sounds so cliche, but it's the first one that comes to mind and the one that I tell my stepson now, trust your intuition something doesn't feel right it usually isn't if something's too good to be true (laughs) it usually is those little things that you think are coincidences and just be open-minded and just listen to the way the universe can direct you sometimes in ways that you least expect it but you if you learn to trust your gut and trust yourself you'll you'll be all right you just gotta know yourself Thank you so much for sharing your story today. So amazing. You seriously give me goosebumps when I think about it all. Escobags is obviously helping so many people and to see you so happy now and healthy is fantastic. So thank you so much. Thank you for your kind words. It's been absolutely lovely talking to you and for this opportunity. I hope what you're doing is incredible too for your community and beyond. Podcasts are so, so important and I've been listening to one for many years now about narcissistic abuse and honestly and they're over in Canada the power of podcasts it's incredible so keep doing what you're doing too and and thank you for inviting me on (laughs) if after listening to this episode you need help or support please contact 1800 respect on 1800 737 732 or lifeline on 13114 If you enjoyed this episode, I'd be so grateful if you could please hit five stars and leave a review or take a screenshot and share it on social media so that we can reach and inspire more people. If you haven't already, don't forget to subscribe to the podcast so you won't miss any future episodes. And I look forward to you joining me for the next episode of the Inspirational Tales podcast.